Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Memphis Listening Lab proudly supports WYXR. They provide a curated collection of music and music history, a forum for music-related talks and performances, and a music education, appreciation, and experimentation space located in Crosstown Concourse. The lab is open Tuesday through Saturdays from 11 a.m. to 5 p.m. You can find out more information on their Instagram page at Memphis Listening Lab or on their website at memphislisteninglab.org. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trendham, the Memphis Metropolis host, and I'm pleased to welcome back a previous guest. It's Josh Whitehead, who recently uh, left a long career in public sector planning with Shelby County to join to join the private sector. And but, Josh, I think you're the first. I've been doing this show you know, for a year and a half or probably pushing close to two years. And I think you're the first person I've had on a second time. So welcome back. Oh, thank you. Good to be back. So the last time you were on, we were talking about skin. You were talking about, we were talking about skinny lots and a very, I think I had to ring my jargon bell because it's a fascinating discussion, but quite nerdy. (laughs) So, um, Josh, I wanted, so, so you, you, I think I first met you when you were planning director in Germantown and, and you and I sort of bonded over a couple of things that we'll talk about later, sort of a shared interest in signs and, but I met you then and and you went on to. And we lived around (laughs) the corner from each other. We lived around the corner from each other. That's right. Um, and you moved on to Memphis and Shelby County, but how did you just talk a little bit about your, how you got into planning to start with? I want to say you were working in Chicago, you told me. Um, I don't think I'm making that up. So what was your sort of education? How did you get interested in planning? Not knowing that planning was involved uh, as a kid, well, as a five-year-old, we moved to Plano, Texas, which was at the time... Um, in 1980, a, um, you know, the burgeoning suburb of the country or one of, and we lived at the very edge of Plano, which was at the edge of the metropolitan Dallas area. And just watching, you know, going from being at the edge, literally our subdivision was at the end of the road, the six lane concrete roads turned into dirt roads right past our subdivision. Oh, wow. And, you know, of course, there's all kinds of nature and um, uh, livestock um, and weird flora and fauna um, at that line. And to that line was very brief, of course, um, because, you know, once we moved to the line, more people wanted to move to the line. So it disappeared in short order. And that kind of fascinated me because we would drive to my elementary school or middle school. Well, I walked to the elementary school, but when we drove, 
um, just to see that edge each, well, almost month, but certainly each year go further and further out. Then we go to visit my, uh, my paternal grandparents who lived in Franklin at the time. And they were in a kind of a rural large lot subdivision outside of Franklin. And to see uh, the perspective from their house, right? To see the edge of Nashville uh, creep closer to them. And then my maternal grandparents lived in East Memphis in a quote unquote older established neighborhood. And then, you know, to take those three scenarios and just how different they were to each other. So fast forward to, uh, we moved back to Memphis. Uh, we lived in Germantown and Germantown used to have something called GHS TV, Germantown High School TV. I think it's probably been renamed because it's now headquartered in at Houston High School. Um, but GHS TV used to run the Planning Commission, the Board of Zoning Appeals and the Board of Mayor and Alderman um, meetings. They still the new entity still does. And that's what helped me piece together what this it, first of all, that it was a profession, uh, this, this art, this science, whatever it's called, uh, of planning cities. And I thought, wow, that this is really cool because I saw it in real time uh, in Germantown. I lived on Cordes, which for years was a connection because Farmington ended. Uh, so a lot of people cut through down Cordes to get to the eastern portions of Germantown and Collierville. And then that was replaced by Farmington's extension. But it, and to learn that it was always planned, like that corridor was always planned. It was going to connect here at Johnson Road. And, and that portion of Dogwood was going to be widened and be renamed Wolf River Boulevard. Just finding out all of that stuff, I, I thought that was really cool and I wanted to be part of it. So it's, it's that's interesting that that sort of, you know, as a younger person, discovering that something that you're interested in actually can be a career. Well, and I, I was thinking about in preparation of this for this interview, you know, the importance of whatever funding the city of Germantown uh, and at the time Shelby County Schools provided to that program. You know, it's, it's amazing what little bit of money per capita funding can do to a, to a young kid and uh, give him or her inspiration. Um, so it's something to keep in mind as we have these uh, annual funding battles during budget time. <laughs> well, yeah, I think those kinds of, to the extent, I mean, I'm sure over the long time you and I have known each other, we've talked about, you know, the, the access or lack of access to, you know, important public meetings um, where planning decisions are made and to the extent that those can be broadcast or made accessible through technology is, um, is, you know, very important. And so it was great that they, they were on TV when you were a kid. But also, I mean, what you said about Plano, that just sounds sort of fascinating that it's almost like living at the end of the, if the earth was flat, uh -huh. almost like living at the end of the world. When we talk about seeing sprawl happen around us, that is a, a literal, um, you know, a, a four lane road that basically just stops <laughs> and, and your house is there at the end of the road. And then, um, 
but it's just interrupted. It's th- that progress has just been interrupted. But to see that, and then the other example, living in Franklin and seeing seeing Nashville, just the the urban form, the urbanization, just kind of creep closer, closer, closer. And of course, Franklin's been completely absorbed by that. Uh, the the book Virginia, so it's on my bookshelf. Virginia Barton's The Little House. Uh, you know, Disney made a cartoon out of that, and as a kid, we had the I had the we had the Disney Channel, and uh, that actually, you know, there's a sequence. Well, the whole cartoon, I guess, but you know, the march of the city closer and closer to this uh, little house, uh, and it totally envelops her. And you, of course, her her people leave and go somewhere else. So, did you always intend to work in? So, you always intended to work in planning? Yes, I realized early on in my collegiate career that uh, planning the, the, the accepted terminal degree for planning was a master's in city planning. So my undergrad um, was something that I liked geography uh, more so than something I really needed. Although I discovered um, that the University of Memphis program of geography was at the time um, in the same building as the city planning program. So that worked out nicely. It wasn't the same building because I attended grad school in that same building and geography was downstairs. And there were quite a few people. There's, there's an, like at a lot of planning programs, there's not an undergraduate mm-hmm. uh, major in planning. So a lot of people utilize geography um, if they want to go to planning school, a lot of people take that particular route. But but um, but not only are, do you have a master's in planning, which is the terminal degree, you're also an attorney, and um, which is not an unusual combination because you know there's a lot of legal work involved in urban planning. But um, did you do those at the same time, or at what point did you decide you wanted to add to your um, add to your expertise in a more formal way. After grad school, uh, I went to grad school at University of Cincinnati. I joined a uh, public policy think tank called Citizens for Civic Renewal. And through, I worked there for about two years. And through that work, you know, and working with professionals in that space, it seemed um, that having a legal background, if not being a licensed attorney, would help uh, effectuate the the changes that I was convinced um, either needed to be made or um, needed to be incrementally moved towards, <laughs> right? So, and, and fact of the matter is most uh, sustainable change is, you know, tiny little baby steps. Um, I didn't know that at the time. I kind of came out of law school thinking, you know, let's, I, I came, I came out of law school as kind of a revolutionary. Uh, the world had to correct me and it corrected me very quickly. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, the, um, you know, Sarah Newstock, who, you know, was my guest on the last program, kind of talking about how some incremental citizen led work really help facilitate some transformational changes in our community. For example, bike lanes and uh, the hemp line and, uh, and, you know, her observation of course, is that, you know, so much, so many decisions are based 
I mean, in order to affect decision making, a lot of time it's not as a lobbying public officials. It's going into the code and 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 trying to get a word changed. Mm-hmm. So something gets changed from may to must, or I mean, those little changes um, can completely change the direction that that things go in the development world and transportation or land use. And I, I, we, neither one of us was an attorney. And I think that would have, I can imagine that that is helpful um, when you really need to like do things like update the, the unified development code and um, which we'll talk, we can talk more about that, but I can imagine being an attorney would be very helpful as a planner. Certainly. And then to, to um, maybe this is a little bit of a, a maturity factor for me, but to uh, celebrate the little wins. And, you know, it's not sexy changing may to must, um, but it, it's a win and it's worth making an achievable goal and celebrating when you get there and then turn around and do it again and again. I think for me as a younger person, you know, I just thought that if it wasn't a big giant win, then what's the point? Well, life, I mean, that's kind of a generational thing. Those big wins, <laughs> if that, right? So if you're waiting on a big win, you're going to, you're going to be sorely disappointed unless you're in sports. I mean, sports is an easy way to get a big win, but I, I wasn't built for that. Well, I think it's um, not so much the size of the win is the, um, the, Maybe it's visibility. I mean, the, the as the example, like let's just use bike lanes for example. If the the rule says, you know, if you're if you're building a new road, you may put a bike lane in. I'm just obviously this. It, it's a lot more technical. I'm using as if you're building a new, a new road or repaving a road, you may put a bike lane in. So if the if the rule is if you're repaving a road, you must put a bike lane in. You know, that's one word and you're going to get a lot more bike lanes in the city, which is huge. And so it's the 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 intervention seems small, but the impact could be just as big as some big, sexy project. Right. So um, so you you came back to uh, the Memphis area um, from Cincinnati for law school and then you became planning director in Germantown after that. Is that right? Uh, there was a brief, you mentioned Chicago. I did move up to Chicago and I uh, worked with ULI actually. Uh, but then I came back and I was hired and maybe for younger people listening, uh, don't let your pride get in, in, in your way. Uh, I was hired as a, you know, a beginning planner. Um, and I was, probably about six months after elevated to the planning director. But I was, I started off as, uh, I guess they call it municipal planner in Germantown. Um, so then I became planning director, you know, within the year. Um, and then worked there for about four and a half years. Um, and so, I, sorry. So what was, uh, and so in my memory, the time you were at Germantown, was I, mean, I sort of remember two things. I mean, that was a time when there was just there was a lot of um, sort of unfettered development, um, and it sounds like 
a lot of that work would have been, you know, approval of new subdivisions and that kind of thing. But also you led some some important discussions that Germantown needed to have um, around smarter growth. And uh, I'd like you to just talk about that a little bit. Yeah. So which a lot of suburban jurisdictions are and and that's fine. But um, I guess around 2000 or so, uh, the conversation started um, being had of whether maybe more housing options, um, particularly, you know, smaller lot housing options and uh, more condominiums or even, uh, you know, housing above retail, uh, whether that and, and then office buildings and, you know, mixed use office, commercial, residential structures and developments, um, maybe the kind of things we see in other um, not older suburbs, but aging suburbs around the country. Uh, Brentwood is a good example. Um, Clayton, Missouri, outside of St. Louis is an example. Shaker Heights. I mean, you could, you yep. could name a bunch of them around every city, you know, and they have more, uh, they have more housing options. You can live, work and play work being the key there. Cause uh, for many decades, Germantown and means Germantowners uh, worked outside of Germantown uh, for for the most part, and so that kind of pivoted to this smart growth um, approach, and then it, it manifested as a smart code that said, "Okay, in this core part of our city, here are the expectations," uh, and. One of those big expectations was, in addition to the mixture of uses that I just mentioned, was uh, walkability, right? Um, we have built many of our spaces for the car um, and for some spaces, you know, that it, it is what it is. I mean, a lot of us live in single family housing and to get places, we're going to have to use a car or public transportation. But that shouldn't be the only choice, right? Other people, maybe us someday as we age, <laughs> will want to live in a place where we can uh, do more of our chores, more of our um, daily activities on foot. Um, and so that was part of the discussion. How, and how do you build a building that caters to people on their feet, right? Uh, you, you put generally speaking, this is a, 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 a gross summarization, but put it up on the sidewalk and put the parking in the back. Well, and also accommodating community members who need a different kind of housing option. There's, um, you probably read it, the someone who was on the, you know, the city council or county commission for one of the other suburbs, maybe Lakeland or Bartlett, um, just resigned her position and moved out of town. And the reason was that her husband died and she needed to downsize. So she had to move out of the city where she was on the city council um, because there was no appropriate housing options for her. Mm -hmm. And, um, and, you know, similarly, also I'm sort of remembering Germantown, what I'm remembering also is this very 
built out. There wasn't a lot of extra land. And so there was, you know, there's pressure to increase the tax base. And some of these other um, uses could do that when there's not a lot of extra room to build new subdivisions. Am I remembering that right? That's exactly correct. Yeah. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM, and we're talking to Josh Whitehead. So Josh, so you, you, after Germantown, you came to Memphis and Shelby County. Um, did, did you, were you an assistant city attorney first before you headed up the, um, you know, really became the planning director? I, I, I can't remember exactly what the sequence of positions was. No, that's right. Uh, another important lesson for our younger planners. Uh I, when I came okay, over, Dad. <laughs> right, when I, when I um, made the switch from Germantown to Memphis and Shelby County, uh, it started out again, maybe about 10 months as an assistant city attorney for the city of Memphis assigned to uh, the office of planning and development. And my main task was, okay, you just helped um, usher through a new zoning code in Germantown. We've been working on one here in Memphis. Um, help us out. And so that was my main task for those uh, 10 months was to to help get the approval uh, for the, the unified development code. Well, I'm, let's go back to Germantown for a second, because I did want to ask you if I do remember that it there wasn't there wasn't, you, you know, there wasn't unanimous support for these kinds of changes. Um, you know, people, people are resistant to change a lot of times, and then people associate higher density uses with more crime and the kinds of people they don't want living in the community, et cetera, et cetera. But, but um, has that new code, you know, resulted in some new developments? Yes. Um, uh, I guess the most noticeable one is called Thornwood. If people are familiar where uh, the Germantown City Hall is, the next building going up north is um, the GPAC. And then the next, uh, that cross street is called Neshoba. Oh yeah, I've been there. They, that's where the um, the Moon Dance restaurant is, and then there's some. Oh yeah, there's some higher rise. I guess those are condominiums, and but there's several little stores and restaurants in there. That's an, that's, and I think you could walk to GPAC if you um, if you had season tickets. It's right there. So that's a that's a great example. Um, and I guess the 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 question for any community, and this is happening in in Germantown as well, is okay. Um, I think there's probably a majority uh, that support some kind of um, concentration of development in the core of the city. And I guess the question now is, well, you know, where should that line be? Uh, Where does the quote unquote traditional Germantown begin, the the, the bedroom community? Um, And I think that's a healthy conversation and you know, it'll probably evolve over time. And in fact, the an area that was originally included in that quote-unquote smart code core of the city uh, has recently, about a year or so ago, been taken out. So that debate is manifesting itself in decision decisions on, okay, maybe the line was to 
um, you know, uh, far flung and maybe it needs to be drawn in a little here uh, or there. And, and I think that's probably a discussion that happens anytime, you know, a, a, a shift is made of that uh, uh, degree in the zoning code of a city. So, so fast forward again to, you know, Memphis and Shelby County. Form placed online um, because there was some codifications that may have not been made or um, inserted properly into a big PDF or whatever kind of format. Um, so that was the, the biggest change. Uh, number two is rather than um, making it impossible to build pedestrian oriented developments, um, it made it possible in many places and uh, mandated it in, in others. So I think uh, in addition to just, you know, the kind of uh, kitchen kitchen table issue of can I read the zoning ordinance and understand it, uh, it did make some uh, substantive changes. But it what it did not do, and I think it, it wanted to do, um, was reduce, if not remove our, um, I'll say addiction, <laughs> to conditional zoning. Um, our okay. All right. I'm going to ring my bell because I don't want to. Yeah. So, so what is conditional zoning and why are we addicted to it? Um, it started early. So number one, what is conditional zoning? That is uh, Emily wants to rezone her property. She, she has a property that only allows houses and she wants to build a gas station. <laughs> you know, uh, Emily would not do that, <laughs> but go on. This is a different Emily. <laughs> so uh, there's a zoning district that allows gas stations. So she can, it, she has two choices before her. She can ask for the zoning district that allows gas stations. And, um, there's, and that zoning district has rules. It'll say, okay, put a eight foot strip of landscaping over here and a 10 foot strip of landscaping over there. But let's say her neighbors um, are a little reluctant um, to go along with this idea. And they say, you know, Emily, we, we, we like you. We, we need a gas station, let's say. Uh, but it needs to be built out of brick, especially the back side that faces me. And oh, the, face, the side that faces her over there. Uh, she really needs, because her kitchen window is real close to the property line, she needs some kind of like screen, maybe a six foot uh, wall with a, a very particular kind of species of evergreen. Um, and then at the intersection, we have this problem with the left turn lane. And so instead of putting your uh, driveway for the gas station where it probably would be permitted otherwise, let's push it 50 feet over there. Emily can only do all those things that her neighbors want through conditional zoning because those will all be uh, conditions of her approval. So the UDC tried, and you may have remembered this in early conversations. I don't know if I've told you this, but it's it, I think it's kind of funny looking back. Uh, Tommy Pacello and I were good friends, and uh, I saw him one day at Kroger or somewhere. I said, hey, I um, have submitted a letter to Mayor Wharton um, to see if he would like to appoint me to the Board of Adjustment. I hear that y'all have trouble with quorums, Quora. 
He said, Board of Adjustment, we're getting rid of it. I was like, okay, well, never mind. I don't want to be appointed. <laughs> and then uh, I had another conversation, not with Tommy, but uh, it was about the plan development. And plan development is a ding, ding, ding uh, from Emily. A plan development is kind of the ultimate conditional zoning. Um, like a variance that is heard by the Board of Adjustment, it's conditional zoning. And someone said, oh, well, the UDC is getting rid of plan developments. So I know there was, and of course, the UDC, the reason it took so long to, to go through the process is because there were there was a lot of pushing and pulling. And so um, the, the team anti-conditional zoning, their point of attempting to get rid of the variance, Board of Adjustment, and the plan development was, we're going to make a zoning code that speaks to uh, those neighbors of Emily's gas station, right? Uh, that addresses the next door neighbor over here and the next door neighbor over there with her kitchen sink. And where we landed was, you know, unless we have a million zoning districts, one zoning district for every property, then <laughs> it's tailor-made for every situation and every kitchen sink that's nearby, there's really no way for us to get away from conditional zoning. There's always going to be a setting in which that is the way to go. Well, how do other communities handle that, um, Josh? That's a great question. Uh, so Germantown, for instance, planned development, as an example, in Germantown does not and cannot do quite what it can do in Memphis. Why? Because Germantown's ordinance says it can't. So... Uh, Let's just use Emily's gas station for an example. Uh, the plan development option is off the table. She can only ask for a rezoning to get her gas station. But the way that the kitchen uh, window next door and this other and the driveway and all those scenarios uh, come up is Germantown in their ordinance requires site plan review for every development, even if it's quote unquote, buy right. Even if Emily already has her zoning for a gas station, she has to go through a site plan review process. And it, through that process, we, uh, we know that uh, we probably will approve her gas station because it's allowed by right, but we're going to place these conditions with the driveway, with the fence, with the Arbor Vitae, whatever, uh, through the site plan process. Okay, so the conditions are still there. It's just uh, at a different stage in the approval process. And this goes to one of our other challenges in Memphis and Shelby County. We've uh, historically, I've, in my opinion, never funded that department with the staffing it needs. Because if we were to go there, site plan review for every project, you would need the same staff, proportionally speaking, that Germantown and Collierville have, which I think would require a doubling or tripling or quadrupling <laughs> of the staff. Um, so, and, and I don't know if that's politically or otherwise plausible. So that's probably the, the big thing that keeps us from going there and instead continuing to take this case by case approach, because guess what? Um, when Emily wants to build a gas station in the, in the setting we just mentioned with all these houses nearby, okay, that's a whole different animal than if she wants to build one out of, in the middle of nowhere. 
right? Maybe we don't need to talk about site plan conditions out there because um, the zoning ordinance covers all of the parameters that need to be covered. Okay. All right. So let's let's come out of the weeds for a minute <laughs> and go more big picture because I'm yeah. fascinated, but I don't, I don't want to lose any listeners <laughs> that we already have. So Josh, you know, there have been fundamental changes in you know, how planning has done, how development is done, you know, the, and how we think about development in our community. Um, you know, before the, I mean, I think the unified development code was part of that, like you said, making it easier and in some cases um, required for more um, pedestrians, walkable communities, denser communities. But then, you know, the Memphis 3.0 plan, uh, the city's first com- comprehensive plan in decades uh, came along under John Zena's leadership, um, along with, you know, Ashley Cash and his, the, their other team. Um, of course, you were very close to that and involved in that. And and that is, um, you know, the philosophy is, of course, build up and not out, you know, encourage density and I mean, this is a this is really over time transforming our city. I think in good ways, but I mean, you were you've been an insider to that, um, and pro- probably had to change the way you think about some of these things over the years. So, just to reflect a little bit about being a very close observer to to these, um, you know, as. Memphis and Shelby County just doing things different different ways that we hope will work better than what came before it. Well, you mentioned John Zena's leadership. Not only uh, was he a good leader, or maybe uh, an attribute of his good leadership was he 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 had me do a one eighty because I was of the mind. My experience with plans were they're either. historically one of two types one they're completely ignored they're on the shelf what does it say who cares or they are they are utilized and they're just so strict that there's no you know well sorry emily you you can't even ask for that thing um because the code the the plan the long-range plan says you can't and and before we were in that first group there were (laughs) rules but it was really easy to not follow them. Well, a fascinating story is the reason we got to be not following them is because we did follow them for a short minute um, and got sued over it. And so then we said, oops, maybe we don't want to be bound by these things anymore. Uh, but the, the Memphis 3.0 plan, it's, it's not parcel by parcel specific, right? It's, it, you know, a lot of lawyers like to use the word adjacency versus abutting because adjacent, uh, you can live a mile away from a paper mill and be adjacent to it. Why? Because you're probably smelling it. Um, but if you lived a mile from a duplex, eh, you're probably not adjacent to that duplex, right? So adjacent is a much uh, better word to use because it really is, in our case, land use by land use specific. And so it looks at adjacency um, versus abutting. And instead of using, you know, a parcel by parcel map, 
It's more of a, a blurred line approach. And, and what it, so that was a huge innovation compared to other cities. And John and others did a lot of research uh, because a lot of cities have run the gamut on what is an effective and sustainable long range plan. Um, and so this is what they came up with. And so when does it come into play? If, if the long range plan says that Emily's house ought to be um, a commercial zone, that doesn't mean anything to Emily right now. What it may mean to Emily is if she wants to rezone it to industrial, that, then when we have these asks, when the city has these asks coming to them, they consult the plan and they open it up and they say, ooh, well, we do recognize that your property is probably underutilized because it's on this street, which is probably not a good street for residential. It's so busy. It's whatever. It's a highway. Um, but we really can't support your request to go all the way to industrial because it's it's identified as commercial. Before that plan, uh, we were just, you know, we got the Ouija board out and said, oh, well, Emily she's right. She's on a busy road. Okay. Why not industrial? Well, we and that's, no, and we'd have well, no and that's why they, why we've had tire stores and car repair places up and down summer Avenue and Lamar um, in, you know, adjacent to, you know, nice residential areas. And over time, those, you know, the zonings being tweaked in those areas. And, but that's why we got to there in the first place. Well, that goes to another pro and con of conditional zoning. So, you know, some of those gas stations um, were zoned conditionally, but, and were required to operate between the hours of whatever to whatever and have a, a landscape screen. But the question is, how, you know, finding, having the time and the resources to find that approval from 1942 <laughs> and then to take that to environmental court, right? Because you're going to get cited if you're violating those things. I mean, it's very time consuming. Whereas, um, although the pro to that is at least they got those for some decades while I was being enforced, at least they got some decades out of those being enforced. But if it was straight zoning, the inspector wouldn't have to wonder, gee, is this tire shop, was it approved as a plan development? And that's why it's breaking this general rule that I know, because I know the UDC by heart. Um, so it, it really gives the inspector like on the ground, boots on the ground, he or she is not ever 100% sure if that violation that he or she thinks is a violation really is one, because there could be some weird zoning applying to that property. Well, I was just talking about, I mean, you know, how many of those kinds of, you know, uses have been approved, um, really inappropriately inappropriately yes over the years and you know some neighborhoods are now sort of chipping away at that um and to good to good effect so josh i want to shift gears i mean you recently left that position to move into the private sector and i know you're going to still work on what's the name of your firm in case anyone wants to call you and hire you birch porter and johnson birch porter and johnson an esteemed uh, Memphis law firm. And I know you're still working on, you know, zoning and land use issues. And for sure, I would hire you in a minute if I needed 
an advocate because I needed that gas station. No, I told because you're very persuasive. I told the Lanyus Control Board. I said, "Look, if you see me with a gas station case, you need to just point me to the door." So it, I can't do your gas station, but I might do something else for you. Well, oh yeah. I mean, I would not have. <laughs> I would not develop a gas station under any circumstances. I'm just saying, generally speaking, I I would like to have you on my side. <laughs> In a land use case, but I want to shift gears and talk a little bit about some of your personal passions, some of which I share. I mean, when I when uh, three I can think of, and there's probably more. One is that um, you were in Germantown. You had a giant postcard collection <laughs> of of um, multifamily, wasn't it? Apartment buildings, a giant postcard. I also collect Memphis postcards and. So you and I have that shared interest. And then also when you when you were in Germantown, you had an amazing blog with pictures of different kinds of all different kinds of antique or not just antique, but interesting signage from around Memphis and Shelby County. And that no longer exists. But I l- absolutely love that because I love signs. I love fonts. Um, and, but now you've sort of, um, those interests have kind of combined and been enhanced into a really fantastic, um, blog or website called Creme de Memph. So it's C-R-E-M-E-D-E-M-E-M-P-H.com. Mm-hmm. So, um, people who know it, love it, but more people need to know about it. So tell me about that. Uh, what, what motivated you to get started? And then you go, you go down all kinds of rabbit holes. Well, I am sure many of your listeners would appreciate this. At some point in time, you have exhausted the resources of both the Memphis room and the special collections room at the university of Memphis. Um, Now, lately, the Memphis Public Library has um, partnered with a microfilm company and all commercial appeal uh, newspapers back to 1894 are on their website. So that's a whole other treasure trove. But when you exhaust those, you kind of say, "Okay, well, uh, my house, I'll never find a picture of my house or whatever the picture or the research that you're trying to do on whatever building or street you just figure you've hit a dead end. Well, once I started OPD, um, someone said, well, you've got to go down to the board of adjustment room to get that file. I said, Oh, a board of adjustment room. That sounds, uh, archaic. So I went down there and it was archaic. Uh, OPD was a late comer in managing the board of adjustment. And proof of that is our old land use control board and planning commission files are a little less uh, meticulously kept than our board of adjustment files because the board of adjustment used to have um, a lady named Anita Forrester um, who kept meticulous. Everything was in its right place. And she retired, I guess, in 99 or 2000. So it wasn't until 2000 that OPD took over the board of adjustment. So you go down there and files back to 1925, many of which have Charlie not Charlie Newman, the photographer Newman. Don Newman. Don Newman. I work with Charlie Newman. Uh, Don Newman was 
you know, he made his money by taking photographs, I guess, in large degree for cases that went to the Board of Adjustment, because half of those cases from the 20s through the 50s, I guess, or maybe early 60s have photographs of his. And I thought, whoa, I have found a new, you know, a, the new, a new tomb of artifacts. And um, so that's what started it. I, I scanned a lot and, um, you know, sent it over to the public libraries, but um, now they are, they've all been scanned. And so if you go to the zoning atlas um, that, that's managed by the Division of Planning Development, you'll see all the Board of Adjustment cases, of which there are, I think, 14,000. Um, eventually, I think what they want to try to do is if you click on that little polygon, you can download the file. Um, but right now, you have to email uh, if, if you want that file. But it was a treasure trove. And what it helped me do, and I found this is also helpful in um, political discussions, where if you're not careful, you or they will go straight to the, um, you know, the, the, the punchline that they heard last night on cable news. I find that uh, both to address um, issues surrounding development and politics is to do a historical dig and find what is, when, when were we of these different mindsets, when we were at, at common ground, and then go from there. And if you do enough history, um, at least in the development world, and I guess maybe in ideological political ideological world too, you can find, you can go back and find a common ground and say, well, this is how this happened. This is how this thing that you hate so much got built. And this was why. Okay. I don't hate it any less, but now at least I can understand it. No, that's helpful. Being on the receiving end of some of your historical explanations that I did not agree with, um, (laughs) I, I appreciated them for sure. Um, But, but in creme de mep, you know, there's just so many diverse top as a person who's you know really interested in the built environment. Um, you just look at so many, I mean, dead end streets, you know, you'll, you'll have to do an article about dead end streets or you'll do an article about, you know, a couple of particular cemeteries or um, I mean, it's all of the articles, um, transportation infrastructure, historical transportation infrastructure. And so where do you get your ideas? And there's, they seem to be unlimited. You seem to have unlimited ideas. Uh, well, some, for instance, I drive down Southern a lot and there's a place called National Economy Plumbers. Yep. There are plumbers. They used to be a much like, I think almost, I don't want to say national, but they were at least regional, like multi-state. Well, and that, that's their... That's their name. We always kid around about it because it's that that's the world headquarters there on Southern. <laughs> well, there used it used to be a much larger operation. And now it's I think A.M.P. Uh, supermarkets did the same thing. You know, they used to be national and eventually they got down to like one store in Elizabeth, New Jersey. Uh, so this is the same story with this plumber. And so I just because I remember reading about that in uh, Ask Vance, maybe. Um And so what I'll do is I'll drive by and it's, you know, it's in a, it's in a mid-century building 
And what I'll do first is to see if I can find any historical research on it. I haven't yet. So, you know, I think it rather than just do a regurgitate and ask Vance article, you know, why, why do that? It, his, his articles online, um, add a little, if I can add something to it, like historical photographs or, Hey, this is how this building was built. And look at this letterhead, this president, you know, he's saying we're building this, this is our 1000th, 1000th location. Um, we're awesome. And, you know, just to give some historical perspective and some, uh, visuals to that story. So that's what I'm thinking of right now. Cause I see it a lot. It may never become a blog. So things like that, I'll drive by or I'll walk by, um, one of my, here's another pending thing. If I can find something interesting on it, uh, the block around the corner for me that I go on, on my dog walks of York, York between Barksdale and McLean, the, the, the York that doesn't have the median, it has the skinniest sidewalks in the city. It's like, they're, they're like three feet wide. If that, why? I don't know why. Is it interesting? Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's so this is where I get my ideas. <laughs> well, you're just a great observer of the, of the, yeah, the public realm. And, and you did put all the signs on that creme de menthe also, didn't you? I've tried. I, I went on a trip up to hang out with a friend of mine from Bulgaria. We met in grad school and he was about to move back to Sofia. So we knew we had to hang out. And I don't know what year this was. It was late, embarrassingly late. And I still had a film, 35 millimeter film camera. And he, so we're out there taking hundreds of pictures in Cleveland, Ohio, which is, you know, oh my God, a great place to take pictures. And he finally said to me, he's like, you're going to spend like several hundred dollars developing all these. And I'm not going to have to spend anything because he had a digital camera. The problem I've had is trying to uh, keep and store and locate and scan those old 35 millimeter photographs. So a lot of them, I'm sorry to tell you, Emily, may be lost to the ether. But of those that I had, I have converted over to the creme de menthe platform. Aren't there services you can pay to do that? It seems worth doing. I know, but I'm for me when I was at the time, you know, when you used to move a lot and you didn't think anything of it. Oh, I, I was, see what you're I saying. I was in my moving phase of my life, and so okay. I think a lot of them are okay. In the dump well, somewhere. well, um, at Creme de Memphis, just an incredible repository. I mean, if you, if you, if you, I go on there all the time, just not to see what the latest is, but to sort of poke around and um because you have all kinds of interesting things about neighborhoods and i just i can't recommend it enough it's it's it is definitely a rabbit hole when you go down when you go in you can you know come up for error an hour later and you've learned a lot of maybe not totally useful information but it's been incredibly interesting so please well, keep doing it and I use it too. If I'm having a debate with, you know, the city engineer or somebody, I'll think of something with a city engineer's signature at the bottom. I'll remember uh, which blog, it, which post it was. And so if I have internet access, which, you know, most of us have at all times, um, I will use it as my own reference point to, to argue whatever case I'm trying to make. So it, it's very helpful just for myself. And only cost twelve. Was it GoDaddy twelve dollars a year? I mean, you can't beat well, that. Plus, 
plus some of these are some of these entries are are exhaustive. Some of my favorites are for buildings that were never built. Like you'll have plans and advertisements and old letters from the chance the chancery court or whatever, you know, that you've scanned in for things that were never built, actually built. Um uh, Sue Ann McClellan works at the law school and I ran into her not too long ago. She lives in um can't think of the subdivision, but it's Rosemary Lane there at the corner of um, Central and yeah, that's Melrose. Uh, but it was originally uh, envisioned to be the home of some like 20 story New York style cooperative apartment building with duplex units and two floor living rooms. I mean, somebody really, you know, went to New York on a, on a trip and came back with <laughs> big Had a little land. too much to drink. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Well, it, I think the depression hit. And as you know, uh, a, a, a nice subdivision was built, but to tell people you, you hear they live on Rosemary Lane and you know, it's a little conversation piece. Hey, your house almost never happened. Right. This is what it was supposed to be. <laughs> That's so great. Well, I'm going to post a link to Creme de Menthe in the show notes for people to listen to this on the podcast. And for anyone who's listening that's not familiar with it, that's interested in Memphis history and, and all elements of the built environment, um, I really encourage you to check it out. You'll thank me later. So, Josh, this has been great. Um, one last question, I guess. Um, did you, you know, leaving the public sector, moving to the private sector, you just ready for a change? Is that why, which I can completely relate to, but what, what, what motivated, motivated that decision? Well, I got a call, actually started a call from a former colleague uh, who was working at a, uh, an unnamed company. And she said, they are so big, they want someone like you to work in-house. And I thought, well, that's interesting. Um, Never thought about that. So then I started thinking about, well, what does leaving look like? Um, and I thought, you know, I'm 46. Um, can I make it to 65? <laughs> and that's 19 years. Um, because now you can't, you know, you used to have the like 12 years in and you're out. Uh, that's, that was not part, that was not my pension plan. <laughs> I had to, I could, do 55, but you're really giving up a lot of money. So I, my, my plan is got to wait till 65. I said, well, I probably maybe could, if, you know, all the future mayors like me. Um, but if I ever want to do this, if I ever want to take this leap, I feel like now it's, it's going to be now or never. Um, and, you know, who knows? There's plenty of options. I, I, I like the fact that most people at Birch Border work here till the forever. <laughs> so, you know, certainly one option is that. Um, but, you know, there's all kinds of options. You know, if, if, if a certain opportunity comes up in a few years uh, in the public sector, but I think working somewhere for so long, you got to be careful because if, um, if you don't leave after, for me, you know, a decade or so, um, it, it gets to be harder and harder to make that jump. Um, and, that's the nature of the game, right? Look at the, look at the millennials. 
I agree. I agree. It's okay. They survive. Sometimes I feel like it's time to get out of the way and let someone with fresh thinking right. um, come in and um, and shake things up a little bit. So, well, you know, my successor is uh, Brett Ragsdale is an architect. I mean, yeah. you can't imagine someone from a different perspective as a lawyer, as an architect. And that that's a good thing. It is a good thing. Okay. Well, Josh, we're out of time, but it's been great talking to you. This, you've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 at Crosstown. And I'm Emily Trendham, the host of Memphis Metropolis. We've been talking to Josh Whitehead, who's making a return appearance on the show to really kind of look back on his career and his reflections from a, a long career in public sector planning, along with some fun side projects. So thanks for Support for WYXR comes from Focal Point. Located in Crosstown Concourse, Focal Point is a Southern College of Optometry clinical facility that offers exclusive designer eyewear lines and eco-friendly frames, which meets the needs of patients who value style, customized fits, and a personalized approach to their eyes. Learn more at focalpointcrosstown.com. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy.